This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to the Human Animal Connection Show, where we believe we can communicate with all animals. Join us as we explore the 33 principles and healing methods of the human animal connection. As animal lovers, we know that you share our commitment to making the world a kinder place for all creatures. Together, let's embrace the transformative healing power of the human animal connection. All right. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Human Animal Connection Show. I'm your host, Michael Overly, and I'm with the magical genie, Joseph. Genie, welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> Good to be here because today we're going to be talking about animals and how they are our partners in healing. And I think partners is really important because the we don't like to think of animals as tools in healing as, you know, some folks kind of treat them like, you know, they're just devices in the healing process. And we really want to view this as a partnership. So whatever we do with animals, we want it to be as good for them as it is for us. And so that's kind of our philosophy in the human animal connection is that we are partners with animals. And from the point of view of partners, we can heal each other. And that's what this show is all about today. I love it. I will preach this to the highest heavens because you know how much I believe in this. Yes, I know. <laughs> well, I have a great quote for you from Sanjay Gupta. And he said, there are two types of guide dog, one that helps us see when we can't, and the other that helps us see ourselves when we lose our way. Isn't that nice? Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. I like that. Yeah. 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 And dogs really do help us emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. There's so many ways that they can help us. And I want to explain to people, because sometimes people don't understand the difference between service dogs and therapy dogs and all the different ways that animals can support us. So I just want to start out by just kind of explaining the different categories. So to begin with, we have emotional support animals, ESA. And emotional support animals can literally be any animal, a horse, a dog, a pig, a cat, a cow, <laughs> you know, a rooster, a chicken. I mean, it can be any animal that makes you feel better. And preferably that that can also anticipate uh, when you need to feel better and can give you comfort. So they both give comfort and initiate comfort. And a really trained, well, good emotional support animal can anticipate when you're getting stressed or sad or anxious or mad or something like that. And they can, uh, you know, they, they have the desire to give you comfort. They want you to feel better. So that's an emotional support animal. What's important to understand about emotional support animals, they don't have the same privileges that service dogs do, for example. So an emotional support animal is not some, an animal you could take in public with you to a restaurant or on an airplane, but they do provide a very, 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 very valuable function. And I've, as you know, I've worked with over 4,000 service members. And um, in many cases, an animal is just what they need to feel more engaged with life and to feel more supported. Companion animals are also uh, in the same category. They may not have quite the same level of ability to anticipate emotions that an emotional support animal does, but they give you a sense of comfort. They make you feel less alone. They give you um, touch healing, you know, in the sense that they like to be touched and they want to touch you and they want to cuddle. And so they are just wonderful to have a companion animal. Again, like emotional support animals, they don't have any of the legal um, privileges that service dogs have. And therapy animals are animals that are trained and hopefully certified by one of those uh, organizations that certifies therapy dogs, meaning they've been tested and they pass all the behaviors and all this other stuff. And they go to different places. So they could go to schools and hospitals and nursing homes and 
we take them to the VA. And um, we just visited a school, uh, school yesterday for kids that have some different emotional issues. And we brought three dogs in. It was so good for them. And they were just so enthusiastic. A couple of them were scared of dogs, but they really got to be more comfortable and see how safe the, uh, you know, our trained therapy dogs are. So we can, I know we've done a whole show on therapy animals. So you can look for our show if you're wondering if, if your dog has the potential to be a therapy animal, look for that show. And then finally, we have service animals and service animals are very specific. They have been trained to do specific tasks, you know, at least three for a person who has a specific need. So people know mostly about seeing eye dogs, or maybe they aren't aware that there are hearing uh, hearing ear dogs, dogs that can help people hear. Like I don't hear in one ear, I can't hear certain things, doorbells or people knocking on a door or, a, you know, tea, tea kettle whistling, um, Sophia, my dog will alert me, or I can't tell where a siren is coming from if I'm driving. So she will look in the direction of the siren, which will help me understand where the siren is coming from. So uh, service animals are the ones that have the privileges. You cannot deny in a public place a service animal going with you. So service animals can go on airplanes. They can go in restaurants. They can go to hotels. They can go to concerts and movie theaters and any place where the public is allowed. So they are protected by the Americans for Disabilities Act, and they have all those kinds of of rights and privileges. And you cannot ask uh, a person what their you know, what's what's your disability or what's your illness or, you know, I mean, they're like diabetic alert dogs and all kinds of dogs that can help people with, with medical seizure alert dogs is just one example. So, um, you can't ask the person what their disability is, but you can say what service does the dog perform. And so, that's the one legal question that you're allowed to ask and also if they have their paperwork and so on, if they have credentials. But yeah, so that's a little bit about the different ways that animals formally help us. There's all kinds of ways that animals informally help us. And I know, Michael, you've seen that with your work, right? You want to just tell people a little bit about what you do with, with men and your, their dogs? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I work somewhere between the emotional support animal and the companion animal range. Yes. Um, I would qualify um, in my own certifying body most of the dogs I work with as emotional support animals because they're so intuitive and they're just so in touch with so much. Yes. So the work that I do with men is um, the best way to put it is we help build emotional confidence. Yes. Um, we I kind of take mental health as far as that term out of the picture because of its stigma. It, it denotes something's wrong, something's bad or broken, needs to be fixed. Yeah. So we we build emotional confidence, and we do the same thing with the animal too. In ways that animals need to be trained, sometimes we mm -hmm. we make them feel safe and secure, mm -hmm. right? So we help the guy become more safe and secure based on the relationship with the dog, and we can translate those skills into other relationships in this man's life. Right. So it's absolutely fantastic. There's, there's nothing we don't already have or don't already know. We just don't know how to put it together sometimes. And that's where we need some help. And the dogs, they step in and, and fill that gap very nicely. Yeah. Yeah. I was working with one army soldier who had some, you know, serious anxiety, PTSD. He had been in, deployed many times and uh, the dog learned how when he started to get anxious, the dog would rest his head on his leg, like on his thigh. And he, 
came to understand that the dog understood that he was getting anxious. And even though he wasn't particularly motivated to work on his issues personally, he understood that his emotions were affecting his dog and he was motivated to help his dog stay peaceful. And he recognized that when the dog did that, oh, okay, I'm getting a little stressed now. I'm going to work on my breathing. I'm just going to calm down a little bit and then everybody feels better. And that's such a beautiful thing to watch. Uh, and this dog learned this on his own. This was before when I started training with him, I pointed it out that this is what his dog was doing, but the dog dog was already doing it. And it's up to the human to recognize when the dog is trying to get your attention. Like Sophia, if I start to get a little racy or whatever, like I'm running late and I'm trying to get going and she'll, she'll sit down and she'll kind of look at me at a distance. Like she won't get close, but she'll look at me with this kind of side eye look like, hey, you're getting a little like overamped here. And that's and just, if I miss that little subtle cue, I would miss it, but I've learned to pay attention because she's absolutely 100% right 100% of the time. <laughs> and it helps me to say, okay, well, maybe I could just breathe and go a little slower and it would just be nicer for her and nicer for me. And that's a very beautiful thing, but we have to pay attention to that. And there's there's one um, YouTube you can watch uh, uh, from the BBC, and it's about a woman who uh, she had this dog and the dog was starting to act like the dog was dying, like there was something wrong, totally listless depressed, not interested in food, took her to the vet, nothing wrong with the dog. Uh, she had been to the doctor for her regular mammogram, nothing showed up. Um, but the dog kept kind of nosing her breast. And finally, she said, you know, this is just not usual for my dog to be doing this. And it was the same breast, same place. Finally, she went, she went back three times to the doctor, finally had a biopsy and the dog was right. It hadn't shown up in, in I think it was two or three mammograms, but the biopsy detected it was cancer and they got it taken care of. And as soon as she got it taken care of, the dog was fine. And so, I mean, that story just moves me so much because this is not a dog that had any training to do this but the dog sensed there's something wrong here. And I have another client that I'm going to work with later this week. And the dog detected that the husband had, unfortunately, pancreatic cancer. And the dog started signaling and they didn't know. And the dog's been very depressed and won't drink any water and, you know, acting very strange. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we're going to, I'm going to be doing with this family is, you know, helping work on some of the grief so that the dog can, you know, recognize that, the dog doesn't have to take it on. The humans are taking care of it. It's, you know, he's going to, you know, the prognosis is not good, but, but um, it's so when we view our, our animals as partners in this healing process, then we're less likely to miss the signals that they're giving. And I don't want me to make people paranoid that like if their dog looks at them, it means they have cancers, right? So it's, 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 <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, when you have a, a, a new behavior that is just like suddenly showing up and it's where one specific thing, you know, you know, you can email me if you have questions about this, but because I don't want to make people paranoid, <laughs> you know, think that everything is a signal, but um, certain dogs will signal in certain ways, like Sophia will, her, um, will sit or she'll use her eyes in a certain way that tells me to pay attention to something. So it's going to be a behavior that's a little bit specific. It's not going to be just, you know, looking at you or giving you a sad look or something like that doesn't mean you're sick. <laughs> yeah. We are always being shown things, right? Animals yeah. are always communicating with us. Uh, we just don't always pick up on it. 
Exactly. You know, and, and, and part of it is, is it's tricky not to put our own meanings in like, oh, the dog looks so sad right now, or the dog is mad or the dog is scared or whatever that may or may not be true. It's, but you know, we have to be able to tell the difference in our class in human animal communication. One of the early steps is to be able to recognize the difference between your own thoughts, you know, things that are cycling through your own psyche and your own filters and your own perceptions and your own, you know, story versus what is coming from the animal. And it's the difference between making a phone call where I push a button and dial you, Michael, or when you call me up, you know what I mean? It both can result in communication, but there's a difference between when I call you and when you call me. And and we want to be able to feel the difference between, you know, I know what my thoughts feel like. You know, my thoughts are like, they're very familiar. They're very habitual. You know, they have a certain, you know, especially if there's fear in them or some anxiety in them or some anger in them or some judgment. I know those are my thoughts. Those are, you know, I recognize those thoughts. I've had those for many decades now. <laughs> okay. But when Sophia communicates with me, it's, it's, it's just like a different tone. You know, it has a different quality. And when I receive communication, it usually comes instantly. I call it like a data download. It's just like I have the whole story. It's not like a sentence where, the you know, this, the subject, the verb, the adjective is not like that. It's not linear. It's just like the, it's almost like seeing, seeing a, a movie in a, in a whole, in a second. That's, that's me, but, you know, everybody's communication style is a little different. So uh, it's important not to compare. Everybody does it a little differently. And, but that's really an important thing. And to reason why we stress that is that if we're going to have a true partnership with animals, we have to be paying attention. So yesterday, for example, we took three dogs to visit the school, the young kids, and we had to pay good attention because the kids had emotional issues and in some cases, neurological issues. And so they could very easily overamp the dogs. They all wanted to just hug and cuddle and throw themselves at the dogs, right? You know, in their enthusiasm in a loving way, right? But uh, we had to pay close attention to which dogs were getting overamped, like, and what do they need to get um, to bring their stress levels down when they've had too much energy, when they're receiving too much energy from the kids. So I know from Sophia, you know, if she's had a little bit too much of kind of the overhead snuggling, and we do teach the kids how best to approach, but they forget and they just do what they feel like, you know, it's natural, young kids. Um, and uh, she will look at me like, uh, I think it's too much. And so then I will just give her a little bit of space and give her a treat and let her have a moment. And then she's ready for the next kid to come and love on her again. And Bailey, on the other hand, he can do about 20 minutes. And he's a big dog, which is it's usually the little dogs are a little more sensitive, but Bailey is, is a sensitive guy. And so 20 minutes, the kids, and he's got to go for a walk. You know, he's got to just walk out of that room and go for a walk. And then he can come back in and do another 20 minutes of being loved upon by all these kids. And so that's something that's as good therapy team handlers, we need to be very, very good at watching and seeing and also instructing, you know, like Sophia doesn't like her ears touched or her paws touched. A lot of kids want to shake hands with a dog and Sophia will do a salute as she's learned for the soldiers, but she doesn't like to have her hand, her paw touched. So I have to instruct the kids. So it's, it's, you know, it's a dance, but that's what we mean by a partnership is that it, it's as important to me how the dogs are feeling in that class as how the kids are feeling or how the adults are feeling. So. That's what we mean by working as a partnership. But I wanted to tell the folks a little bit about just those of you who are interested in therapy work, two types of therapy work that is just important to understand. And one is called AAA for Animal Assisted Activity. 
And in this um, format, that's like what we did with the kids, we don't have a specific agenda. So we're not making a diagnosis. We're not taking notes. We're just simply being in the moment, seeing what happens and making adjustments as we need them. So we're it, whenever possible, we want to let the dogs um, choose when they've had enough or where they want to go or whatever like this, as much as this makes sense. But then there is something else called AAT, which is animal assisted therapy. And in this case, you're working with a trained professional who has a specific agenda. It might be helping someone with mobility issues or helping someone with anxiety or helping someone with grief or with, um, you know, different emotions or not being able to to talk. Um, so the animals will have a specific purpose that they're going to, you know, that is a goal for the session, in other words. Um, so those are the two main types. And some people have a preference for one and some people have a preference for the others, like their read to the dog programs. They usually have a specific agenda. They want to sit there and read the book. And a dog that's really good at doing reading to the children will look at the child when the child makes eye contact and look back at the book when the child looks at the book. And the children absolutely are convinced that the dog is reading and following everything. You know? And what the, it's so great because when you're reading to the dogs, the dogs don't judge you. They don't correct your pronunciation or anything like that. So they feel a lot less stress and that builds their confidence about reading. So those are just the two main ways that we think about animal therapy and how animals are our partners in healing in a more formal context. Yeah, I love this. God, I love the subject. Yeah. Should we take a little break? Yeah, let's take a quick break. Okay. All right, see you soon. Hey, friends. If you like what you're hearing and want to learn more, check out Dr. Joseph's book, The Human-Animal Connection, Deepening Relationships with Animals and Ourselves, or visit the website, thehumananimalconnection.org to book an online consultation. Thank you for loving animals. Now back to the show. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com All right, folks, welcome back. Uh, I'm excited. Jeannie's got a really cool story for us about the zoo in Honolulu. Yes, thank you. Thank you. It's a wonderful story. I had a friend. They used to, well, first of all, they used to allow this experience where you could go and interact with the elephants a little bit. You know, you were, it was on the other side of a fence, but the elephants could reach over and the trunk could reach over and you could pet the trunk or, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, but elephants love their tongues massaged <laughs> and they also love their tongues slapped. Remember Betty White? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she she was a big donor for the Los Angeles Zoo, and so she had special privileges. So she was allowed to go and slap the elephant's tongue as hard as she could. And these elephants loved it. It was just a sensory, pleasurable thing <laughs> for elephants. <laughs> so anyway, so my friend would go, and she would once a month she would go and see the elephants, and she would take carrots in her pocket, and just you know they came to know her that it was her, and that she they knew she had treats. And she went through a, a thing where she had some, uh, breast cancer and she had the surgery, but she had um, pain in this one breast uh, post-surgery and it just, nothing was helping and just, she always had this pain and she went back to see the elephants and uh, the elephant uh, ignored the carrot that she had and they started massaging her breast very, very, you know, somewhat vigorously with the trunk, you know, and the zookeeper was like, what's going on? You know, he was a little worried, but she trusted the elephant and he did this for like a couple minutes. And then when he finished, she had no more pain. Yep. Yep. Wow. 
Yeah, Michael, you can't see Michael's mouth just dropped if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's just such an amazing story. How did the elephant know that she had pain? Why did the elephant choose to relieve that pain? It was just, you know, a really beautiful thing. I've heard so many stories like that, you know, of animals doing things that uh, I used to have a, a therapy cat when I was doing sessions in my house and and this cat would know just when the person was getting ready to do some deep processing work and would come and sit with them, sit on their belly and just be very, very still until the person sort of finished the sequence and then the cat would leave. <laughs> well, he would leave, he would just like, okay, you're done. You know, it was like, oh, this is really helpful. Help me to know when the person's finished. You know, it was so interesting, you know, how they know exactly where and when. There's this one therapy horse named Peyo. You can see his videos online, P-E-Y-O. And he's a therapy horse that goes to hospitals. And he can sense tumors. He can smell tumors. And there were so many stories of this. Of course, I've told you about Oscar, right? The cat Oscar. Did I tell you that story? Yeah. Yeah. So this this cat was a, a feral cat that was in a nursing home for people who were terminally ill with Alzheimer's and different things. So they were, you know, that's the stage they were in. But Oscar knew within three hours when the person was going to pass, even if the medical staff had no warning or no particular. Oscar, he had done this 50 times accurately. It was so reliable that they could call the family and say, it's time to come because Oscar has just gone into the room. And what was interesting about Oscar was he was not a cat that liked to cuddle and purr and pet, be petted. You know, I mean, he just was not really in interested except when a person was passing, getting ready to pass. And those last three hours, he would just spend right next to them at their side on their bed. And then when the person passed, he would jump off and go on about his day. So, you know, it's just so interesting how animals, if, if we're paying attention, they really are our, our partners in this process of life and in the process of healing. I mean, I'm, I'm never, never shocked anymore at what, I what know. is possible. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. 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 And, you know, like during the whole COVID crisis, you know, dogs, as you know, have been trained to sniff and detect all kinds of things. They can find bombs, they can find cell phones in prison or cash, you know, I mean, they, you know, at the airports, they can find contraband food or drugs or whatever. I mean, they can detect anything. And there's one group in England, it's, I don't know if they were the first group, but the, a group in England started training dogs to detect COVID. And this was before we had the vaccine or anything like that. And it was right at the beginning of the epidemic. It was so, so important. And, um, some some countries accepted this, like they tried at the Finland airport and they could, you know, because the dogs can screen in, in, in five seconds, less than five seconds, the dogs can screen. Yes, no, yes, no, 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 yes. You know, the, just by sniffing the person, they can tell. And the dogs were as accurate as the PCR tests. And in one case, the tests said no, the dog said yes, but the dog was right. You know, it was just too early to be detected by the test, but the dog sensed it. So I, I think it was amazing. And they did it, I know it's some Miami... Uh, football games to be able to not football basketball games to be able to open the 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 stadium again um they did this and they did it in england at some train stations so it hasn't been widely accepted um but this should be one of our first lines of defense especially in in public situations like that so i wanted to go back to um circumstances and facilities for where therapy dogs can yeah. go yeah yeah, so um, it's really any place that will 
say yes. You know, yes, we'd like to have therapy dog visits. We work with dogs that are certified and trained. So they have all their medical records. They pass the test. And if you listen to our show on could my dog be a therapy dog, you'll see all the different things that a dog has to be able to do well. But the short version is that they, of course, have to have the basic disciplines of sit and down and stay and all this other stuff. Um, but they also have to be really good with with people, you know, strangers, they have to really enjoy meeting strangers and they have to be calm around strangers. And even if people are, are upset or whatever, that the dog doesn't get frightened or, or agitated. So um, they can go to prisons, they can go to schools, they can go to nursing homes, hospitals, um, really any place. Like w when I was at uh, working at Tripler Army Center, we would take them to the hospital, visit do doctors and nurses. So just the doctor has five seconds in between patients, come out one room, pet the dog, smile, feel good, get a happy, warm, fuzzy, and then they feel better going in to see the next patient. Mm -hmm. They don't have to carry that story of the one patient to the next room. So it's it's just an extraordinary thing what they can do in a short period of time. In fact, uh, studies show that just gazing at a dog or petting a dog for 20 minutes can release the the positive brain chemistry of oxytocin oxy yeah oxytocin i just forgot it <laughs> right and and dopamine and you know so it's just a, a a really good thing it's it's an inexpensive treatment no side effects and has all good benefits <laughs> i know a photographer that i had met on linkedin and this is his business he he helps get pictures of dogs into businesses and he understands all the science, you know, the things behind it. Um, and, but uh -huh. it's fascinating. Yeah. People can just stare at a picture during a meeting and just. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It really is pictures of dogs. They're looking mm -hmm. at pictures. Yeah. That's great. I'll send him my way. I'd like to hear more about what he's doing. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. We'll do. I'll connect yeah. you with him. Yeah. And you know, um, you know about our program, Canines Teach Compassion. That's the program where we take uh, uh, dogs into the high schools and we ask them, first we teach them how to recognize stress in dogs on a 10 scale, like 10 is the worst stress, the worst day of your life. And one is completely peaceful. Nothing's going to bother you. Nothing's going to rattle you. Nothing's going to rock your world. And we show them that in dogs and then we teach it to them in themselves so they can see that's the same. They have the same scale. And we're going up and down the scale all the time. And so are dogs like, you know, we went out to take the trash and the dogs are like, what, what, you're leaving, you're leaving. You know, it's like, oh my God, you're back. You know, it's like they, they go through, you know, uh, lots of changes all the time. And, but what's great about dogs is this is a more fluid thing and meaning that they can have these emotions, but they don't hang on to them. There's like, oh my God, you're leaving. The door's closing. That's terrible. Oh, you're back. It's wonderful. <laughs> you know, So they're not holding on to it for the whole day or something like that. They, they are fluid. And, and if you see babies like Babies can go from, you know, the worst of the world, and then you give them a toy or you pick them up or you smile at them and it's like, <laughs> you're happy, you know, <laughs> and that's what we want is to be able to have big emotions and then the emotions can retreat like a little wave, just like an ocean wave. And then the next one is in place. And that flexibility of emotions is what we kind of lose as adults as we get kind of, you know, an emotion comes up and we think about it and we tell a story about it and we complain about it. And then we complain about it to someone else. And pretty soon that story is like bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and worse and worse and worse, you know, <laughs> because we've reinforced it, right? So our thinking process gets us all knotted up. But the animals help us because they learn how to really 
be back to that fluid state. And so we show the kids this in the dogs. We show how they can go from being kind of like, oh, I'm just totally bored to, oh, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. And okay, well, you know, you know, they can just move from these different emotions. And it reminds them that they have also the ability. It, it, with humans, it's a little harder because we have to choose. We have to choose to be flexible, you know, whereas a dog just is flexible unless they've been traumatized and then they get to be the same as humans. They get that same stuckness and they get stuck in different emotional states. <laughs> so that's uh, kind of the fun thing. So yeah, we bring the dogs into the schools and uh, it really helps kids get more confidence and feel more connected and get a little touch therapy and get a little love in. So it's just a, a good thing for everyone. Yeah, that's huge. Everybody really wins. Is. It really is. It really is. And in our next episode, we're actually going to talk about dogs who have had trauma and how we can help animals, not just dogs, but all animals who've had trauma and how we can help them heal. So I hope you'll join us for our next episode. Love it. We'll see you then. Aloha. Aloha for now. Thank you for tuning into the Human Animal Connection Show. Please visit our website, thehumananimalconnection.org. There you can sign up for our free email newsletter, book a consultation, or check out our blogs and resources. Our best-selling book, The Human Animal Connection, is available on Amazon. And your donation of any amount keeps our nonprofit organization providing life-changing services. You can reach Michael Overly, author of Let Your Dog Lead, musings on how to create an exceptional life, on his website at dogsandmen.com or email michael at dogsandmen.com. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.